Hi, I'm Nikki from Teaching Autism and welcome to the Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. Are you an autism or special education professional? Are you a teacher or therapist looking for support and new ideas? You may even be a parent, family member or carer. This podcast is perfect to help you find out more information, support and get some of your questions answered. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Teaching Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. Today on the podcast, I am welcoming back Becky from Sensory Spectacle for episode four in our All Things Sensory series. Today on the podcast, me and Becky are talking all about how you can create a sensory room or area on a budget in the classroom, within your school or at home. If you haven't listened to our previous episodes yet, I highly recommend heading back and listening to those first and then coming back to today's episode. Without further ado, let me bring on Becky and let's talk all things sensory rooms and areas. Hi Becky and welcome back to another episode of our sensory series on the Teaching Autism and Special Education Community podcast. Could you just give a quick introduction of who you are for my listeners who may not have listened to our previous episodes yet? Yeah, sure. Hi, um, my name is Becky Lydon. I'm the founder of Sensory Spectacle. Sensory Spectacle educates about and create awareness of sensory processing disorder and so I run lots of workshops I have online training I create immersive learning environments to help everyone so parents professionals family members to understand how sensory processing difficulties might feel but most importantly how we can understand some of the characteristics relating to it and supporting people better Thank you so much and I know by the end of our series of six episodes you're going to be saying that in your sleep yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and I know as part of your sensory spectacle, you also offer online training courses as well. Yeah, so currently there's three online. There's one introducing our eight senses. So it gives you good information about the development of our senses, key developmental stages that sometimes we don't consider and, and why we need our senses for learning. Then we've got one called Becoming a Sensory Detective, which is all about finding out about how can we accurately recognize someone's sensory processing difficulty so we know how to support them best? And then we've got one all about sensory profiles specifically for teaching professionals. So understand different types of students, things like fidgety students, students that need to move, students, students that seem bored. And um, how can you understand that? The best teaching strategy or approach to use with them. So is it an auditory based learning? Is it kinesthetic learning? Is it visual learning? And then how do we create that sensory profile to summarize that up? And there's two more coming in the next few months. I love the sound of all of them, but the sensory detective one, for some reason, the title, I just want to take it just for the title to be able to say, I am a sensory detective. (laughs) And you've been super kind to give us a discount code as well, which I'll put in the show notes and that's valid for 12 months. So I really encourage if you're going to take any of these courses, head over to the show notes and there is a discount code there you can use for Becky. But today we are talking all things sensory rooms. We are. And first of all, I think we should probably talk about what is a sensory room or a sensory area. So a sensory area is somewhere where we can 
do activities or we can support someone who needs help to regulate their body. So we might use it as an educational space, so to to help expose people to new sensory experiences, or we may use it as a space to help calm or alert a particular student before continuing with work as well. And I think it's fair to say that having a sensory area, it doesn't have to be in its own room. So you don't need a spare room for this. But there's also a huge amount of benefits, I feel, for having the sensory space available. Definitely. So it it can add a you know a whole other dimension to someone's learning. So moving out of a particular classroom to another space for a lot of students is a great adventure or a challenging one for for. For people, So that's a learning experience in itself. But also having that separate space means that you can approach different sensory elements to teaching and learning. So it might be that you expose someone to new experiences, like I mentioned. Um, maybe their parents really want them to be able to go to the local cafe and sit down on a Saturday morning and have breakfast. Um, and so you can use a sensory room to help educate about what types of sounds they may hear. So things like coffee machines and people talking, chairs moving. Um, but you can also use them, say, for tactile experiences. So exposing them to new tactile um, sensations, things that are light on their skin or things that are really firm and deep pressure we can use sensory rooms to help reinforce topics so I've been into some sensory spaces that have become a whole immersive environment and they're teaching all about the rainforest and so in that space there are pictures of the rainforest there's sounds of what you might hear in the rainforest there's a temperature so it's a little bit warmer in there to feel like the rainforest and any different type of sensory experiences to help then reinforce maybe what you're teaching in the classroom. But most importantly, one of the benefits of having a sensory room is to help your students to regulate. And when your students are regulated, they're going to be able to learn better because we need all of our senses to work together just for us to sit there and listen to someone talking to us before we even think about doing work that's set for us. So if you have someone who maybe quite easily becomes overwhelmed with processing, say instructions, you might notice that they become really overwhelmed and then distractible. So by using a sensory room, you can help them then to um, regulate down, so calm down, reorganize the auditory information that they're hearing. And you might do that through certain types of sound. So either music that they enjoy or maybe white noise can really help in those situations Um, or just by having a different environment can really help them to switch in their brains the way that they process that information. Okay so I thought I was pretty knowledgeable about sensory areas but you've literally just you've blown my mind with what you were just saying especially with things like listening to sounds of coffee shops like I don't even know how I never would have thought of something like that but that is amazing like that's blown my mind that's literally opened about a thousand different doors now that I want to go and explore all the things because it makes sense and I love the idea of it and also changing it to themes as well like I feel like we had a sensory room that was the same for so long that maybe it got a little bit I don't know boring because it was the same thing all the time and the thought of changing it up and having it themed like even a rainforest theme You've literally blown my mind and just added so much more to my to-do list now. I want to do it all. <laughs> and and to be honest, usually most 
teachers and TAs love making the new themes because they're using their creativity to think about, okay, how can we do this and how can we do that? And so if it's exciting for the staff as well as the students, you're going to want to spend time in there. But if you've set up a sensory area and it's the same for the whole year, you can see how, you know, after a term or two terms, actually there's less kind of want, there's less drive to want to use that space because it's just the same. Definitely. And the thought of it as well, like we all change our classroom themes pretty much on a regular basis, I would say anyway, either a few times a year or twice a year or something. And I feel like just having that one extra room is really exciting. And even if you just rotate through maybe your assistants, maybe they want to take charge one term and put their creative spin on it. I think it's a great way to have your staff involved. And like you say, it's just a little bit more exciting. I know I got bored sitting in the same room and it was the same for maybe eight nine years and obviously you know the children grow with that room as well and maybe they were thinking the same as us but I never thought to maybe put a spin on it especially changing themes and things yeah definitely it's it's just a lot more fun for everyone Definitely. And I think it's fair to say that you can create those things on a budget as well, pretty much like what we were talking about in our last episode about different ways that we can make sensory activities affordable. I think there's a lot of ways you can create the sensory area on a budget as well. Definitely. So it's not about having, you know, thousands of pounds to transform a separate room with lots of technology. If you have that, that's okay. We just need to make sure we're using it effectively. If you've got a classroom and you want to make the corner of one of your rooms a sensory area, it's so easy to do. You can use anything. So things like tents, pop-up tents are great. So having a tent that then becomes a specific sensory area, so you can do under the sea, you lie in the tent and you've got fish dangling down or whatever it might be. Um, You can make it UV, you can have torches, lighting, whatever. Um, And that's a really easy way that you can just kind of create this temporary, this pop-up sensory space. Also, tents are great for people who may become really overwhelmed in the classroom when lots is going on. And actually having a tent or that quiet space somewhere where they can go independently can really help them to remain within the classroom environment for a little bit more of their day as well. Other things I know people have used uh, are cupboards. So a cupboard that's not being used, you can use as a sensory area, you can get cushions, you can use old fabric and just drape it over the doors of the cupboard. And so you might have a dark space or a light space, Christmas lights. So at Christmas, when you've got all our fairy lights, that's a really quick way that you can add lighting to a sensory space. Just be wary for people who are sensitive to light that those lights can actually be really overwhelming. But also Christmas decorations. They're fantastic. Tinsel is one of the best sensory items to have. You've got the shiny visual element. You've got the tactile element. You've got the body awareness of so the way that it feels across your skin. You've got the smell of it. Um, and so using tinsel really exciting and you can also get mini disco balls that you can hang when you've got a disco ball you then create lots of extra light and really really quickly so when you're creating a sensory space you need to think about all of the senses so gym balls computer chairs um, foil blankets are a good one Uh, musical instruments massaging cushions smell pots and also things like herbs 
you're growing herbs in your class as part of a science activity, then maybe also think about the smell and the edible element. Yes, and it was quite funny when you mentioned the cupboard because we used to have a student who would take himself off to the cupboard because it was dark and quiet. And I think sometimes we panic at the thought of using a cupboard, but actually the students don't really care that it's a cupboard. They just want something that is going to help them self-regulate and give them what they need. Definitely. So the tents were a great idea as well. And it's something that I often recommend to people because, like you said, those can be transformed into little sensory areas, but they can also be areas for students to escape to as well. Or even just if they want to work in that, because sometimes the classroom can be quite overwhelming. Definitely. And, you know, it doesn't have to be that someone spends time decorating the tent. Like you said, just having it available as an extra space is a sensory room. We don't always have to add things to create a sensory space. Definitely. And we used to love doing um, crime scenes. So we would do a room transformation crime scenes. And we've actually had two or three pop-up tents at once and put different sensory experiences in each tent as well so that's quite nice if you have got a little bit of a bigger room and you can just use a few tents to rotate through as well that's a great idea I like that (laughs) it was a lot of fun it was very messy but it was a lot of fun and you know like you say tents are so affordable and some of my best tips are to buy everything after holidays finished so Mm -hmm. I know you were talking about Christmas and tinsel and fairy lights and things I would always go and stock up on Boxing Day or the day after in the sale and get everything super cheap and stock up for years to come oh definitely and there's so many shops now you know Easter themed just going the day after Easter getting it all you know half price and you've got then all those resources for next year or just throughout the year lots of little animals um yeah so many good things now you can find in the shops Yes, definitely. And I think it's important to remember you don't just have to use things once. You can box them away and use them for different things as well. Even for me, I reuse a lot of Christmas stuff for Valentine's Day. So anything red, glittery and fun, I put it out for Valentine's Day as well. They don't know it's a Christmas decoration. No, and you make it look totally different when it's then with a new activity. Definitely. And talking about those tents and different things, if we don't have a spare room, I know it can be quite hard for parents and families to try and find a way to make a sensory area in the home, whether it should be in a living room, in a bedroom, in a separate room. What tips would you have just for someone at home who's trying to make a sensory area for their child? I usually recommend to use an old, you know, bed sheet, an old piece of fabric. If it's dark, that's great, but it doesn't have to be. It could be a particular color that they like or a t- particular pattern or theme that they like. Um, but just have something to drape over, whether it's a table or, you know, the corner of the sofa or, or the room where you're, or you're creating, you're offering this space which can be used just for that person. So it might be that they have cushions or pads from the sofa. You put them on the floor and you've got a soft seating area. Um, It might be, again, that you use a tent, but if there's not enough, you can get very small tents, but if there's not enough space for that, then you've made that tent space with your fabric anyway. 
parents always know their children best. And so you will already know what sensory things really help to calm your child. So if it's that they've come home from school and you know that they just need some type of sensory input to calm themselves down, to regulate back down, to process everything that's happened during the day at school... Things like listening to their favourite music, um, looking at their favourite book, smelling a certain smell, eating a certain food. All of these things are are what help us to release certain hormones to help us feel calm and regulated as well. A sensory room, though, doesn't have to be inside. So if you've got a space, if you've got something outside, then it might be they're a trampoline lover and their sensory room is actually the trampoline. So it doesn't have to be an enclosed space. It can be a sensory area where someone's getting the sensory input that they require. Gardens are great for sensory aspects anyway. Lots of flowers for the colour, the texture, but also the smells and lots of things can be edible as well. Definitely. And I know sensory gardens are a huge thing. And there's so many great ideas, especially on Pinterest, for how you can make a sensory garden nine times out of ten with things you already have in your garden. It's just about setting it up different ways. But I like what you said about, you know, making it in the maybe living room with the cushions from the sofa and a big sheet. Sometimes half the fun for the kids is getting to make that area. Like all of us as kids, we were probably all making dens and how exciting it was. And I think that's a great idea, especially if your children are off school. And we all know how hard that can be sometimes out of routine. But making that little sensory area together, that can take up quite a bit of time and they'll be distracted. They'll be having fun and at the end of it they have an area that they can escape to as well definitely and it's like a little adventure you know they've created this fort or this um space that no one else can come into and that's where they're gonna just be and play and enjoy themselves definitely and now talking about those who are lucky enough to have a room that they can devote to being a sensory room and the building process of it or designing Do you think colour should play a factor in it? And this is a question I get asked mainly about the colours of walls and wooden flooring and carpet and things, just because people see online that maybe, you know, red is the colour of anger, things like that. Do you think there's a certain colour or...? So, again, it will vary from person to person, which can make it very difficult. I know um, some autistic people that I support have a high emotional response to the colour yellow, um, whereas other people like yellow as being kind of that bright and spring and fresh kind of colour, sunshine. Um, I would usually suggest that it is a white or a black, so kind of an opposite colour that doesn't have a lot of a tone or meaning to it so by having a white space you can very easily add in color so whether that's through light so projecting a light or just having a torch with um you know acetate on in front of the torch to make it colored um it might be that you use cushions to add in color it might be that you use curtains or shower curtains to add in color and that visual element If you have a black space, it's great for people who visually need to remove themselves from an environment because they get really overwhelmed, but also really good for people that seek visual input. Because in a dark space, you can very easily add in contrast. So I can add in white, I can add in shiny things, and that's going to help someone who seeks out, who looks for visual elements. Whereas also in the black space, you can then use it as that calming space to 
calm, that visual element, because actually around them, it's very neutral and very calm. Red is the first color that we process um, as a developing child. And so red is a color that's really, really popular for children. It might be their favorite color. It might be the color that they go to. It might be foods that they eat are red. Um, However, within a sensory space, we know that, yes, some people love it because of it being the easiest color for us to see because we're most familiar with it. But there's also the association that other people have to the color red of things like danger and warning. So being really aware of the meaning of a color to some people is important, which is why I would always usually suggest to have it as a neutral. So a cream or a white or a gray or a black. Also, when you're creating a sensory space, there's something to consider, which is synesthesia. And synesthesia is where any of our senses can cross over. So famous um, musicians and painters. So Kandinsky was a painter and he listened to music and he saw and he felt shapes from that music. So it might also be someone sees letters as certain colours or sounds as certain colors. And so any of those senses can mix up, which means that actually when we use color, we may see a particular emotional response from that for the person. So if you can use a neutral environment, I think it's then easier to add in color to whatever situation you're in. That was really interesting. And I think I like the idea of natural, especially from when you were giving us all the ideas earlier about being able to change the theme of a sensory room. That's going to be so much easier if you have a neutral colour to work with on the walls. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, if you've got a space and it's got a blue wall on it, you can work with the blue wall. You can make that um, a feature to the theme. So when you're under the sea, if you need to change the colour, maybe you can drape some fabric in front of it. Or you can very easily put up a curtain pole or just a rail and you can thread some fabric across it just to kind of tone down that wall. Those are perfect, especially for maybe people who aren't able to repaint a room or anything. What I like about neutral colours as well, though, is they're quite easy to repaint because life is real and the the walls are going to get marked. They're going to get ruined. I just think with neutral, it's so much easier to be able to just quickly go over some marks. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So in a sensory room, if someone had the money to be able to devote to maybe starting this from scratch or buying some new things, what would you say are your five must-haves for a sensory room that would maybe work on a range of sensory um, needs for students? Okay, so um, things that massage, so things that vibrate are really, really effective. So it might be that you have a cushion that massages that they can put behind them or put under their feet. That's a really, really great thing to have body awareness. You can get loads of home remedic um, items that massage. So you can get balls and you can rub the ball under your feet and it massages at the same time. You can get rollers, you can get handheld ones. There's so many things where you can provide that extra body awareness input. 
but also it can be something that they can do independently as well. I used to have in a sensory room um, a pillar on the wall where when you pushed against it, it then vibrated. So students would lean back on it and it was a cause and effect. So they'd lean back and then it would start to massage. That's something for someone who has a high budget. But if you don't have that budget, you can do exactly the same thing with massaging cushions and they're really affordable. Other things are things like stretchy fabric, so lycra. Um, you can either buy things called body socks or you can just get some old lycra from the charity shop. As long as it's got that stretch in it, you can wrap it around people. You can hang it, make it into a hammock. You can stitch it into kind of a big duvet cover so you can get inside of it and push around that's a really really great thing again for lots of different sensory elements tactile body awareness mirrors are a definite must-have um, the amount that we learn by just seeing ourselves do something in a mirror is huge some of your students may come in having not looked at themselves in the mirror in the morning and that's because you know, mum or dad gets them dressed, they make sure that they're looking all right, and then they come to school, and they're in school. However, when I stand in front of a mirror, I'm now learning about how my body is moving, but also my sense of self. So you may already notice that some of your students, as soon as they see a mirror, they're looking at it, they're pulling faces, they might start crying or making emotions, or just moving their body around. And that's a really, really great thing for visual, for tactile, for proprioceptive, for vestibular, so many of our senses. I would also get you to consider smell. Now, smell's a really important sensory system to be able to support, and many people feel overwhelmed with smells. So can you have pots that have some type of smell in it? I use little icing pots on a tissue, pop the tissue inside and on the tissue you've got smells of particular types of things. So I'll squeeze an orange onto it or I'll put some fresh mint in the pot. By having it in a pot, it means it's contained. I wouldn't suggest to use aromatherapy diffusers because the smell then lingers in the space and then everyone has to smell lavender for the whole day. Um, and not everyone likes that. So think about smells, but think about only trying to introduce natural smells because anything that's synthetic can be really difficult. So even things like air fresheners, they're synthetic and some people can respond to that in a more heightened way. And then my last thing is any type of handheld kind of fidgets. So then it's portable. So things like bean bags where you've got something that's weighted. It might be that you have different textures in the bean bag, so they feel different. It might be that the fabric's different. So when they scrunch it, it feels different on their skin. It might be that you have textured walls, so you can quite easily from a homeware store find cork, you can find Velcro, you can find sandpaper, lots of different textures that you can use and either attach to a, a board or the wall. And things like brushes. So brushes that you find in the bathroom aisle in the shops. Um, so fingernail brushes, body brushes, body puffs, anything that they can get that extra kind of tactile hand held element to it as, with the resistance as well. Those were all great. And I got to be honest, that vibrating pillar, I now really want to look into that because I didn't even know those existed, but it sounds amazing. It sounds what I need in my office, maybe in a sensory area for myself. 
I think we'll need one. It's the most popular item in our in our classroom sensory support sacks is the massaging cushion. It's great for people that need that movement. And so if you have the cushion behind them while they're learning, they will be getting in that movement with less need for them to actually get up and move around. Definitely. And also the body socks. We introduced body socks um, quite a few years ago and the kids love them. They had so much fun in the body socks, but we also had an occupational therapist come and she bought those fancy dress morph suits and they were half the price. And she said, you know, some students love those as well. So there's always alternative, cheaper options available too. Definitely. And you can usually find some kind of stretchy fabric in a charity shop. And that's what I tend to use. Definitely. I love going to all those shops and seeing what goodies I can get because they work out so much cheaper. Oh, yeah, definitely. But touching back a little on the smells, because this is a little bit unrelated today, but kind of related, just because it's something I see a lot of teachers saying that they are using essential oils and diffusers in their classrooms and it makes me a little bit nervous. I don't know why it makes me nervous. It's just one of those things, maybe because I've never done it. But what are your thoughts on using those things in a classroom? Mm. So just from my experience, I'm not a kind of an aromatherapist. I don't really know about the oils. But if you think about the type of smell that we use in one of those pots. Um, so we used to have a diffuser in our sensory space where I worked previously. And it might be that whoever was setting up that space during in the morning would put in a smell. But that smell, they could choose. It could be any smell. And that meant that the students would all respond differently because we, the way we process smell is in a different part of our brain, which means that we respond more emotionally to smells. So if you think now, if someone was to walk past you who wore the same perfume as your mum or your grandma or someone really close to you, you would then feel a certain way or remember a certain thing. And when we're processing smells, that's what happens. We remember a situation or an emotion rather than actually identifying what that smell is. So when we smell synthetic smells, it's harder for our brain to recognize it because it's not real. So for people with sensory difficulties, it's a lot easier, it's a lot less work for their bodies to process smells that are natural. So things like fresh mint, things like oranges, citrus, you know, any type of food is going to be really supportive. Things that alert, so things like peppermint are really, really good. And so I would never suggest to use a diffuser because, like I mentioned before, as soon as I start using the diffuser, the smell is in the whole space and everyone is smelling it. You can't get rid of that smell. Even if you have a window, that smell will still be there and you may even still notice it on Monday when you come back after the weekend. <laughs> so it's really, really important to think about how do things linger? Whereas if you had, say, some fresh mint from the garden or from the supermarket, you could put that in a jar and that smell will be in the space. You can intensify it by rubbing it on your fingers or rubbing it on something. So in a pot, you can mush it and squidge it up and then you get more of an intense smell. But the smell is more familiar because it's natural. And so because my brain can actually associate that smell with something that happens in my life and I might have experienced before. 
I love that. I don't know why diffusers made me nervous. They just always have. But listen to what all you had to say there. I think if people really want to put smell into their classroom, maybe like a smell and station and incorporate all those ideas you just gave where you can contain those smells so it's not taking over the room. Because I know like I love candles in the house, but I know it's not a diffuser, but certain smells will set off my migraines. And I think that's what's made me always nervous to have diffusers in the classroom. If maybe a certain smell would maybe affect the student in a way, maybe it would bring on a migraine. I think that's my takeaway. And all my students are nonverbal. They haven't always been able to communicate, you know, if something's wrong. So I think I just got nervous that maybe I would maybe cause a headache and I didn't know it. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really important thing to be aware of, especially with smell. We'll notice the emotional response to it because, you know, what would you do if you walked into a space and it smelled really disgusting? You might say something, but actually you might just do something. So you might walk straight back out and tell yourself, oh, I've got to be in here all day, sort yourself out and come back in. You might open a window or you might spray something. But for our students, they don't have that opportunity or maybe um, willingness to be able to explain it's this smell that's bugging me because it's really difficult to talk about and to actually pinpoint what it is so things like headaches things like migraines are really really common but we'll recognize the behavioral response to it so if someone's had a negative experience with a smell and they smell it again you'll see the negative experience rather than know it's the smell definitely and that was really helpful, I think, for a lot of people who are maybe considering introducing a diffuser and just introducing those contained smells. I think that's maybe the best way to go. And you're still giving them those smells that you want to introduce. Yeah, definitely. I, um, if they want to have an idea of types of pots you can use on my website, there's a smell pot on there. Um, and it's, it's one like a concertina, so you can squeeze it down and it puffs. So you get that smell input from the air rather than having like a pepper pot where the smell kind of doesn't come through the pot. You need something where you can get the air into it as well. That sounds brilliant. And I'll link that in the show notes as well. So everyone can head over and see what part it is that you're talking about there. But thank you so much for coming on again today. This was amazing. I know my biggest takeaway is going to be that I now want to theme every sensory room and area with all the things like you've given that to me. And that's going to be my to do list for life. Probably I just want to keep rotating, making it fun, making it exciting again. But what would you want to be the one takeaway for the listeners today? I think just remembering that the purpose of a sensory space is to meet the sensory needs. So whether you have a thousand pound sensory room with all the technology, you still need to know the purpose of that technology. If you make your own sensory spaces for your students, understand your students' sensory needs. And so that will change every year that you have new students. You can still keep some of your ideas and your themes, but you'll be trying out new sensory elements. So keep it fresh, keep it exciting, but make sure that the real purpose is actually your students' sensory needs and understanding them first. Definitely. And I think all the tips that you've shared today will really give people something to think about when they're trying new things and wondering what to introduce. And like you say, it doesn't always have to be expensive. Sometimes I think when we see these things that are two, three, four thousand pounds, we just assume they're worth it and that our students are going to love them. But the price tag doesn't always reflect the experience that our students are going to have. 
Absolutely. And we still need to know how to use that item. We can't just expect the students to know how to use it to meet their sensory needs. So that can be a challenge as well. Definitely. I think just remember that, that you can get some really great things, really affordable and are ready in your classroom and they will work just as well as what those expensive things are as well. Yeah, I totally agree. So thank you so much for coming on today. I know you also have a podcast, Living a Sensory Life, that's just started as well. Yeah, that's right. Perfect. So I will link that in the show notes. And where can my audience find you? So on all social media, so Instagram, if you search for Sensory Spectacle um, on Facebook, on Twitter, YouTube, there's lots of free videos explaining certain characteristics of why someone may chew on something. Um, And then all the other information is on our website. So sensoryspectacle.co.uk. Perfect. Thank you so much. And I'll link in the show notes to those as well as the discount code that you've kindly given us for your online training. But thank you so much for coming on today for episode four in our sensory series. And I can't wait for the next two episodes with you. Me too. Thank you so much, Becky, for coming on today and sharing your knowledge and experience all about sensory rooms and areas with us. I hope you found this podcast episode helpful and I hope that it's been able to help give you some ideas of when you set up your own sensory area or room as well. Don't forget to tune back in for our next two episodes as part of this six episode series for all things sensory with Becky. In the next two episodes, we're going to be talking about sensory lifestyles and the importance of sensory play. So if you haven't hit that subscribe button yet, I highly recommend doing that because you will get first notification of when these episodes go live every week. Don't forget to head over to the show notes and find all the links for things that we've been talking about today. Thank you for listening and I'll speak to you again soon.